This is Comic Shenanigans, Episode 73, Comic Reviews for the week of April the 24th. Welcome once again to Comic Shenanigans. This is episode 73 as we're looking at the comic reviews for the week of April the 24th. I am your host, Adam Chapman, and thanks once again for downloading uh, Comic Shenanigans. Uh, just uh, once more, I want to have a quick apology. Um, the last two episodes and now this episode, so that's three episodes of in a row of the review episodes, so that's episodes 73, 71, and 69, have all unfortunately uh, gone up a little bit later than originally expected. Uh, Theoretically, I'd like each episode of Comic Shenanigans, the review episode podcast, so the odd-numbered episodes, to go up on uh, Sunday evenings, right? So it's uh, the comics come out on Wednesday, and then the review episode goes up on Sunday. That is theoretically the plan every week. Um, as I mentioned in the last podcast, which I believe went up on last Wednesday, uh, which was really late, it was on the 24th, I believe, of April, um, I had mentioned that, you know, I, I, on my own personal life, I've had a lot of things going on. I, I bought a new house, and then this week we had to worry about selling our existing house and trying to work out all the details. So, unfortunately, some things went by the wayside, primarily the, the podcast, unfortunately. So, plus I've had a busy time at work, so it just meant that the podcast kind of got relegated uh, into third, fifth, maybe seventh position. It's just unfortunate, and um, I still wanted to get this episode up. And what made it harder was that not having a chance to kind of sit down with all the comments came out and then realizing that the amount of comics I was going to actually talk about in the podcast was kind of massive so I'm going to strip this episode down in a lot of ways um, I'm, these are going to be really quick kind of almost bullet sized reviews there's a few issues I might spend a little bit more time on but this there's so much to go through that I'm going to have to be a little bit have a little bit more brevity than is you know, sometimes normal in this podcast because I usually like to take my time. But we're looking at at least 25 books, if not more. It felt like a massive week. Um, it took a long time to kind of get through everything. So uh, my apologies if uh, if the episode seems like that we're going through it a little too quickly. Uh, so the first uh, book that we're looking at is A Plus X. Uh, this is the newest issue, which is what, issue number seven. Um, this book continues to be an uneven book uh in a big way uh this issue we have a team up between Iceman and Thor uh which is kind of strange and odd and it's kind of a fun cover um we're also we also get another team up as we have uh Iron Man and the Beast the Iron Man and the Beast stories by Zeb Wells with artwork by Del Keown and the Thor and Iceman stories written by Christopher Yost with artwork by Orphan's Cheeps which is Rajon Bernalis and Chris Tur- sorry Turcott um Dale Keown, he hasn't been around in a long time. Uh, the first story isn't bad. I'm not really sure how I feel about how Beast's new look is kind of interpreted in many different ways by the different artists. Um, just kind of a weird story in general, but kind of charming in, 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 at the same time. If anything, like I feel like this was a, an, an inconsistent book. Uh, the Beast story was pretty cool, actually. The story was kind of interesting, because, especially because at the twist at the end. Um, so I kind of dig how Beast and Iron Man have the, they're really playing up the the one-upsmanship that Iron Man has with other heroes, and other heroes wanting to one-up him. That's kind of interesting. Well, the Del Keown art wasn't a huge, it wasn't as strong as I would have expected, or it just felt a little less polished. Um, then the other story with uh, Iceman and and uh, Thor, I kind of liked the art, but it didn't quite fit, and the story just felt a little. 
I don't know, slapdash, and overall I gave it a six and a half out of ten. It wasn't a horrible book, but it's an inconsistent book because you never know what you're going to get. You never know what creators or characters you're going to get. And then in one issue, you could have a team up you love and a team up you hate. So, I mean, it's kind of a mixed bag, but in some ways, I mean, that's you're taking a chance on it, but it's a little bit more fun. But again, I'd have I'd feel better about taking a chance on a book like that if it was three dollars as opposed to four dollars. Um, the higher price point makes it feel a little bit more dear when. Again, and this is the whole idea that comic book fans want their books to quote-unquote matter. Uh, it's a weird uh, part of comic books that it's in that kind of you know superhero kind of genre and media. Um, it's really only in that place where we feel like everything has to matter. And if it doesn't quote-unquote matter, it makes us care much less about what we're reading. It's a weird phenomenon, but I mean, I subscribe to it too, unfortunately. I mean, it's just kind of part of the culture that I think is, uh, has came up out of superhero comics in the, in the West. Um, next up is Avengers number 10. Great book. I'm um, really enjoying it. Hickman is firing on all cylinders. I give this about an 8 out of 10. Wasn't as strong as some of the previous issues. Um, part of this is... Um, I'm actually not really sure what it really has to do with per se. This it's feeling a little disjointed, but we are building this world. We're building what's going on. Uh, Mike Diodato jumps in, and I really liked his take on this series and and the characters. And we're getting a, a look at a you know a squad of Alpha Flight. We're not quite Alpha Flight, but they're off flight. Um, and seeing what happens when they try to investigate one of these uh, areas uh, that's been taken over, so in Regina, and then the Avengers kind of go in, they want to investigate, see what's going on. I love this team of Avengers. I like seeing Captain America working with guys like uh, Bruce Banner and Smasher. Uh, it just has, it gives it a very different feel, and, and it makes it the, the team-ups feel fresh and new. Um, pretty exciting. I'm excited to see what kind of happens from here. We get to see a little bit of, like, alternate realities kind of coming in and into play and uh really strong i gave it an eight uh it was a good book uh next up was avengers arena number eight uh after last issue's fairly strong origin story for arcade or why why and how he's doing things now uh i gotta say first i read this uh i can't remember when i read the news story where i read the news story but it's been announced that avengers arena is going to end with season one and it's going to, I guess, have a season two at some point, but this story on its own is going to end soon, so that's kind of a good thing. Um, the art in this book, I'm not a huge fan of. Sorry, I just real. sorry. I almost real. I thought I hadn't actually mentioned uh, the creative team on Avengers, but I digress. Uh, so Avengers Arena, I'm just trying to look at uh, who actually was writing this. Um, this issue written by Dennis Hopeless, artwork by uh, Kev Walker. I'm um, still a big fan of the art. Uh, it's, it's still got a weird sensibility to it. I mean, a character gets decapitated and they kind of want to bury the body. Uh, this is, I, I think maybe when I first read it, I was going to give it a 7 out of 10. It's almost worth an 8. I'll give it a seven and a half. There's some interesting things going on here. Uh, the way the characters are written. Uh, we got a bit of a climax and a cliffhanger as to what's going to happen next. Uh, the idea of what's happening with Darkhawk and Sentinel. I like the uh, Justin and X-23's uh, interactions as well. She tries to help him kind of rebuild part of the Sentinel, uh, which that part was cool. Um, I, I still, um, I'm against the principle of this book, but damned if they haven't made it a little bit more interesting than I would have expected anyway. Um... So that's a seven and a half out of ten. Moving on is Batman Incorporated number ten. Uh, this was another seven out of ten book. Um, it's not. It's I don't know. I, a part of it's because like 
he has some really good parts where Batman goes and visits the Azrael. Now, I don't even know who this Azrael is because I haven't read his kind of origin story, so I don't really know who or what he's about or how he has the suit of sorrows. Um, but that's part of interesting. And then you have the idea of, um, uh, you know, Ra's al Ghul and, uh, and, and his daughter. You have Lucius Fox basically trying to kind of cut downplay the tie between uh, his company and, and uh, Batman Inc. You have uh, Gordon taking down the the bat the bat signal. You have a bunch of uh, Batman's allies trying to decide what to do. You have Jason Todd having been captured. So there's a lot going on. Um, I like that you have Talia, you know, kind of uh, not giving uh, the Damien clone his due. Uh, you have some interesting parts with Batman, kind of the idea of like, you know, I will become a bat and really taking it literally as he injects, injects himself with a serum and then goes careening towards uh, Leviathan. Uh, it's interesting. Um, I give it a 7 out of 10 because it's not the strongest issue. It does feel like there's a lot going on, which is good, but it feels very disparate and like these weird, like weird things are happening and not everything always feels like it's making sense uh, or uh, feeling like it's part of the same story. Uh, but, you know, I mean, the artwork's not bad. Um, Grant Morrison is definitely trying to go up, leading to a certain point. I can't remember for sure if this ends with 13 or 12. I think it's 13, so there's still a fair bit that's going to happen. Uh, I'm just not sure how I feel about the last page, because it felt very gimmicky. Um, just like the, the gatefold covers, which I haven't really spent a lot of time even talking about, but they're kind of dumb, and, you know, the idea of this one saying he will become a creature of the night... Uh, he will become a bat, and uh, I just didn't really care for that. It was just kind of very, like, very typical of all these covers. Uh, the issue, of course, was written by Grant Morrison with artwork by Chris Burnham. I do like Burnham's style. It's kind of quirky and weird. It reminds me at times of Frank Quietly, but more enjoyable than Frank Quietly, uh, usually is, at least for my taste. Um, but there's a certain similar sensibility. Um, next up is Batman the Dark Knight, number 19. This was a disappointing one because, I mean, I've been enjoying where Horowitz has been going with this uh, this book, especially because he had uh, Ethan Van Skyver and artwork, and I have that the artwork changed, and now it's, I guess, it's Zyman, S-Z-Y-M-O-N, Kudrensky, and uh, it's it's not the same. The artwork is, is kind of a mess. Um, there's a lot of inconsistencies in the art. Uh, I gave, I gave, I was going to give the book uh, a 7 out of 10. The script is strong, but like gruesome and brutal uh but you know it's engaging but then you have really kind of poor artwork or it's very inconsistent artwork and i wasn't a huge fan of the artwork at all um i do like that we're having more of the mad hatter story i'm surprised it's not over yet um but i'm excited to see how the storylines converge and we have a good showdown so that's exciting very creepy issue though uh next up is east of west number two i can barely tell you what happened here uh death hunts down someone else who tries to cut a deal uh the three i guess horsemen of the apocalypse um they the because the president died because he was killed by death in the last issue uh they want to bring out the, bring about the next president and they have to basically find one that they approve of so they kill a lot of presidents until they get to the one who they think that can receive and has heard the message and will be able to to uh, represent it uh, I wasn't a huge fan. I'm not a huge fan of the artwork here. Uh, I think the first issue was stronger. Um, I give this a 6 out of 10. It's probably the only Hickman thing I haven't really been a huge fan of so far. This is not what I expected from Dragota. I just thought the last issue's artwork was a lot stronger. Uh, Hickman's script, not nearly as strong as ha- has been a most of his own, his creator-owned stuff, as well as 
his um more Mar- his Marvel work. I mean, if you look at it, this is a big week. You have Avengers, you have New Avengers, you have Manhattan Projects and East of West all came out in the same week. That's four Hickman books. That's a whole heck of a lot of Hickman. Um, moving on from East of West, uh, which I gave a six, we have Fantastic Four number seven. Uh, I was going back and forth on this. I'm going to give it a six and a half out of ten, mainly because I like the artwork by Mark Bagley, but I really can't stand the story that Matt Fraction's telling, it just, it doesn't fit, it doesn't, it doesn't feel original, it just, uh, it just, it just doesn't work for me, um, the Fantastic Four end up in a weird kind of, I guess, future kind of dimension reality thing, uh, they want to free Blastar so they can, uh, use Blastar, the energies that Blastar has so they can go back to their own reality, own, own dimension, uh, they come up with a way of tricking these aliens so that they can escape with Blastar in their clutches, uh, and then send Blastar back to the negative zone. Um, at the same time, there, there's more kind of revelations on what's going on with Ben Grimm in terms of the degradation that he's having is more in his mind, whereas uh, for Reed, it's a side of degradation. Sorry. Um, I'm just not really digging this. I mean, again, this the writing is not all that great. Um, the artwork's pretty great, but it, it, sometimes it's a little thin, but I do like Bakley's version of the thing. I think he does a great thing. Um, I don't know, like, I'm just not a huge fan of what this book is doing, and it feels like it was trying to be this kind of fun jaunt, and it just feels like it hasn't quite lived up to that promise, and I'm wondering where they're going to go next issue, because it looks like they might even be going home, but I don't know if if they're not actually going to make it there or not. Um, I don't know. I gave it a six and a half out of ten, and it's mainly, it's only being kept up that high because of the art. Um, next up is FF number six. So that was FF Fantastic Four number seven. Now FF number six. I liked it when they were at the same number level. It's now it's just kind of a weird because they're one issue out. Um, I like the script. I do like Dragon Man. There's some interesting parts of the artwork. There's a great uh, spot where you have a, like a cutout of the Baxter Building, and then you also have a showing where everyone is and what all the rooms are. I really kind of dug that. It reminded me of the old uh, the diagrams they used to show of. Um, of the Baxter building back in the day when we used to do the actual cutouts and the actual issues. Uh, there's some weird characters here. You have the idea that uh, Darla Deering and the Yancey Street Gang kind of mix it up. You have uh, Black Bolt's son uh, going back home and talking to his dad and She-Hulk and him are trying to find out what happened to uh, Medusa and Bentley 23. Uh, Scott Lang dealing with his own stuff and trying to help out uh, Darla Deering as well and uh, kind of defend her because you know, she's a member of the team. And at the very end, they are connected. They are sent to the negative zone. Um, I don't know. I'm not a huge fan of this. Uh, the artwork is still by Alred, and it's quirky and weird. And sometimes it works, and sometimes it doesn't. Uh, on the whole, though, I just I feel like I'm starting to care a little bit less with each issue. So I give this a six out of ten. Uh, next up is uh, the Flash number nineteen. Um, this is an interesting issue. First of all, next issue is supposed to, issue number twenty was supposed to be the big. Uh, our um, introduction of the new Reverse Flash, but because they had the WTF month, they wanted to uh, have him on the cover. Uh, as it says, his greatest tragedy uh, at the hands of the Reverse Flash. So the last two pages were basically shunted into the book so that they could uh, still have the Reverse Flash in some way in this book. It's such a weird way of running a company. Like, we're going to do these covers, and you have to force things in. Um, the This is written by Brian Bucciolato, artwork by Marcio... Takara, the last two pages uh, of the artwork by Francis Manipal. Wasn't a huge fan of the artwork, uh, for the most part, by uh, Takara. Although, I like the story. The story with Barry Allen actually being more interesting than he's been in 
because we haven't seen a lot of Barry Allen actually being Barry Allen. Uh, and here he doesn't have his powers because they're somehow gone, and he becomes an action star as he's trying to figure out a way to uh, prevent a lot of enemies, uh, sorry, a lot of weapons in a weapons cache uh, at Iron Heights from getting out and uh, being, um, you know, uh, seized by those who really don't deserve to be using them. Uh, and also he's trying to protect, um, you know, uh, his friends, etc. And then. It's we kind of figure out that uh, it's not the person who's actually responsible for everything is not who we would have expected. Uh, you also have some stuff with uh, Flash and uh, uh, oh my god, my words are failing me. Flash and Cyborg on the on the Watchtower. That's kind of interesting. The last two pages, not really sure what this means or uh, or how it works or who even this Reverse Flash is. It's kind of interesting, but it remains to be seen. Uh, it makes sense that his powers would be kind of reversing things, uh, I guess. I don't really know how this is going to work, but that's what issue 20 is for. I'm excited for that. This issue, not a huge fan. It was all right. Again, the, the artwork kind of brought it down because I just felt it was a little sloppy, and it just didn't quite feel like it matched the, the consistent uh, visual tone that this book has had since the beginning, uh, either by Marcus Toe or by Manipole himself. Uh, so I gave it a 7 out of 10. Next up is Gambit, number 11, uh, I really don't know what to think about this book. Uh, I gave it a 7 out of 10. I'm not really sure if it deserves it or not. Uh, I really love the cover uh, by Clay Mann. Clay Mann is reason to read this more than anything. Uh, James Asmus is writing it. I'm not a huge fan of what he's been doing here. Um, especially in the, this issue, the first few pages, the artwork really isn't that great. Uh, there's some really sloppy scenes uh, as uh, Rogue and... Um, and I forget even her name. The girl that Gambit's been hanging out with, uh, they kind of mix it up, and they're trying to kind of figure out what's going on there, and Rogue's kind of warning Gambit, like, you know, you're kind of messing around, you're, you know, Avenger now, you gotta be careful. Uh, you also have Tombstone uh, trying to uh, basically con control Fence so that he can uh, lead him to Gambit. That part's kind of interesting. Um, I don't know. It's not a horrible issue by any means, but it leaves a lot to be desired as well. Gave it about a, a 7. I'm interested to see where we go in the future, um, what's going on with Tombstone, etc. Uh, it definitely looks pretty brutal here, like the girl is might be dead, or at least slashed in the neck, and she might be dying. So it's interesting to see where we go from there. Uh, so I gave it a 7 out of 10. A lot of 7s, not a lot of 8s this week. Uh, next up is Guardians of the Galaxy number 2. It's kind of entertaining, but also very frustrating. Uh, first of all, Iron Man in his ridiculous new armor that is not referenced in any of the many other books he's in. Um, I felt like the kind of redesigned Badoon reminded me a lot of the Saurians from the uh, short-lived, well, three and a half years, I guess isn't short-lived, but the, uh, the uh, former cross-gen series Sigil. Uh, it had a bunch of characters named Saurians, which had, were basically reptilian characters, not unsimilar to the... Uh, or dissimilar to the Badoon, but they're wearing armor that looks identical to what the Badoon is wearing here. So that was a little frustrating for me. Um, artwork here is by uh, McNiven. Um, really enjoying his stuff, as well as, well as Sarah Pacelli. So I guess they're, they're working on it together. Um, the action sequences were fairly strong, as you have the Badoon. But there, I, I was kind of bothered by this book, because you have some good action, but really what it's predicated on is you have... Um, Star-Lord's dad basically 
you know, bringing together the the who's who of the kind of the the rulers of the universe of the, of the galaxy, and uh, kind of trying to make his case that Earth should be destroyed or confronted or uh, you know subjugated, etc. And it felt very similar to um, to oh, I can't remember the name of the of the uh, event. Maximum Security from around two thousand two thousand one. Uh, it was a it was an event where you had the main kind of um, galactic races getting together and deciding that the uh, Earth was too dangerous because of all the uh, super powered beings that we have, and so they basically made it um, a penal colony for the worst that was existing in the universe, uh, the worst wreck that they could possibly find. It was they were all uh, sentenced to Earth, and then. Earth had to try and struggle against all these aliens that were suddenly showing up, and also then trying to defeat Ronan, the, the accuser, who was uh, defending and operating the penal colony, uh, the, the, this main space station above the Earth that was bringing all these uh, these bad aliens in. So it reminded me a lot of that. Um, the story is very straightforward. I mean, you have obviously a little bit of this political intrigue in the background, which unfortunately isn't all that original. And then you have the uh, actual members of the Guardians of the Galaxy confronting uh, the Badoon and going up against them. Uh, that's really uh, pretty much the issue. I mean, there's not a lot more not a lot more to it. Um, but at the end, it looks like uh, the King of Spartax is basically arresting the Guardians of the Galaxy. So uh, this still isn't the Guardians of the Galaxy I, I used to love. And a lot of people did love when it happened in the landing or writing them. I'm still willing to give Bendis the benefit of the doubt, but he's not doing a great job thus far. Uh, really sustaining my interest more than anything else. I gave it a seven out of ten though, because the artwork is still pretty and the story's not horrible. It's just again kind of lackluster in some direct, some ways. Uh, next up is Manhattan Projects number eleven. Finally, we get Nick Patara back in the book as uh, he had left for issue number ten. Um, so I'm glad he's back because I really missed him last issue. Uh, I really dug this. This was a lot of fun. Um, yeah, just such a great read. Um, I'm a huge fan of this book. Obviously, people who've read the po- uh, listened to the podcast previously will know. This was a kind of a, an interesting issue because we have a, a little bit of a backstory into um, into Dalian, uh, Harry Dalian, and his uh, relationship and friendship with uh, uh, now I forget his name, but Ermi or Fermi. Uh, who's basically an alien that no one else knows is an alien, except for Dalian. Uh, and just seeing their, their kind of friendship as it's blossomed over time from what happened when uh, Dalian was first kind of transformed into uh, the modern day. Uh, I really like seeing their friendship and seeing a little bit more in the development of what's going on in the world uh, of the Manhattan Projects in terms of their space station, etc. Um, cool stuff. Great read. You owe it to yourself to read this. This is uh, really fun stuff. I, again, the emotional resonance of this of these two characters hanging out and being friends and hanging out on the moon is really quite something. Uh, so I gave this issue a 9 out of 10. It's immensely entertaining. I don't want to give too much away about what happens inside. Although, one would argue not a lot actually does happen, but we're seeing what the new status quo really is now, and uh, I also just love the relationships that we get to see as well playing out between Dolly and, and uh, his friend. Uh, the the resident alien of the Manhattan Projects. Uh, next up is Morbius the Living Vampire number four. Oh my god. Okay, the last page of this just made me so frustrated. Uh, first of all, this book is stupid. I'm sorry. Like, I This is not a very good read. 
Uh, it's just frustrating. It's it's taking Morbius the Living Vampire, this cool supernatural character who also has a nice science bent to him because of his background, and instead they're just putting him in this weird area in New York and just having him be like basically like a thug and like confronting other thugs. It just doesn't work. Here we get the idea that um, the main guy who's kind of been running this area, uh, he was uh, basically uh, taken in by this mysterious stranger and given these powers and abilities, or at least kind of rebuilt uh, genetically or physically or whatever. He was given a serum. Who knows what the hell it was. But uh, And now um, he's basically, because he's basically died and they're trying to save his life, Morbus is trying to save his life, they, uh, they take the body back because uh, they don't want basically anyone to find it. And, uh, and then we get the idea, not the idea, but we find out that Morbius was actually, him being here in this in this place is not an accident. It's on purpose. Um, and uh, this, and I can't even remember his name, but the guy that they were basically using to uh, take power in this area, who's not actually dead, but he's pretty much almost dead. Uh, they're basically saying we don't need you anymore because Morbius is what we need to uh, eventually be able to take over this area again and uh, then we get the idea then we get to see who it is as they kill this antagonist for the first three issues and it's none other than the rose and I just this I, I my wife and I were, like I was reading comics she was um, she was watching some TV I got to the last page and I was just like you've got to be fucking kidding me and she's like what? And because she thought I was talking about the TV show we were watching, I'm like, no, it's just this comic. It's really stupid. Uh, it's frustrating enough. And then to get the Rose, who's a cool villain, a villain I really like. First of all, we don't even know which Rose this is because, I mean, originally it was uh, Richard Fisk. Richard Fisk is dead. We had Jacob Conover was a short-lived uh, Rose during uh, Tom DeFalco's run on Amazing Spider-Man in the late '90s, early 2000s. Pretty sure, actually, I guess it was just the. Uh, the the late nineties. Now that I think about it, because I think uh, he yeah, he's the rose right around like four thirty something. So that was in the late nineties, uh, around ninety eight, ninety nine, or actually maybe even ninety seven. I apologize. No one actually cares about the minutia. Bottom line is no one cares about the rose anymore. And now they're gonna bring him back and they're putting him in Morbius, a book that's just begging and waiting and and just asking to be canceled. Uh, this just isn't a very good book. I don't know why they're even bothering with it. Uh, Morbius could be such a fascinating character. This is the least fascinating way you could possibly write him. Um, I, I can't remember who it was, and I apologize, but someone had commented in one of my earlier episodes of the podcast a few episodes ago when I was talking about Thanos Rising Number One, and I said, and he said that he basically felt that what I had basically said about that about that episode, the way he summed it up, was that don't read this. This is a piece of crap, and that's that was his main takeaway from the episode. And I, I thought that was funny and true. Um, if there's one episode, one issue, sorry, this this week that I would say stay away from. It's utter crap. It's just garbage. I would say it's Morbius. It's definitely Morbius number four. This isn't very good. It's actually looking at it, maybe not the, even the lowest rated I've given because uh, there's a book coming up. The last book I'm going to talk about, I'm going to get our second last is a five out of ten. You know, I'm reconsidering Morbius. I think you're worth a five because I think you're tied for the worst book of the week. But this is the one that made me more angry than the other one. The other one was just kind of a mess and kind of stupid, but it didn't feel like the kind of insulting mess that this was. It was just, you're taking a cool character and just doing nothing with it. Um, and then at the end, I don't want to see the Rose here at all. And unfortunately, I get to see him and he's going to be, and he's going to suck. At least that's the feeling I get. Um, so that was Morbius the Living Vampire. Ugh, this is just, 
This is just so painful to read. Why is it even happening? Why do I even read this? I don't even know. You have somewhat interesting coverage, but a terrible book that has no reason for existing. Uh, Joe Keating wrote it with artwork by Richard Elson. I mean, the artwork by Elson's probably the best thing about the book, but the book just sucks. And the last page, I didn't like the depiction of the rose either, and the depiction of the, 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 the bloody, kind of beaten body of the former kind of antagonist of this, the first three issues of this book. Uh, There's not a lot of detail in there either. It just was, this is a mess. It wasn't worth it. Uh, next up is New Avengers number 5. This is a pretty good book. I really enjoyed it. It's another Hickman book. This is a given 8 out of 10. So, so far, for those keeping track, uh, Hickman's books have gotten a 9, two eights, and uh, a 6. Um, so, a pretty good average overall. <laughs> An average of 8, right? Um, or not not exactly. Uh, close to 8. Uh, maybe just below. Uh, I'm really digging this book. Fantastic artwork. Uh, immensely entertaining. Not a lot, I guess, theoretically happens here. We find out more about the Box Wong character. We find out more about her history and where she's coming from. Uh, Hickman wrote this artwork by Steve Epting. Um, I, a lot of this issue is basically the Illuminati confronting Box One and just having a conversation. And we also get to see a little bit of the fight sequence on the other Earth with um, that happened basically that we left off the last issue with with Terra, that Terrax of that world fighting against the Illuminati. Uh, and then this issue is more about like that there is another uh, event coming. We get to see a little bit uh, about uh, when this all kind of started happening, uh, how she became a black squan. Um, really interesting stuff, and the idea that there is another incursion event happening already, and what are they going to do about this? And I also like the idea that uh, Beast is well known throughout the universe, especially to the Black Swans. Black Swan trying to give ideas on this is what we could do, and they're not really... The um, the Illuminati are really kind of split on whether they're going to kind of take her word or not, and Black Panther's not really liking it, and the new Incursion event is coming in uh, Latveria. Uh, really dug this book. Sweet read. Um, really fun. 8 out of 10. Uh, next up is Red Lanterns 19. I've enjoyed the last few issues for the most part. This issue felt... A little fillerish. Uh, it was a bit of a seven. I gave it a seven out of ten. Uh, it's by Peter Milligan with our by Will Conrad. Um, the cover saying, you know, the Red Lanterns sworn to uh, defeat their their greatest enemy, who's their own leader. Um, it, it makes you think that you're going to be reading one thing when it's one uh, something else entirely. Basically, Atrocitus uh, spends the issue kind of demanding that all the Red Lanterns kind of come after him and kill him because he's the greatest kind of offender of the Green, of the Red Lantern Corps because if he had been stronger um, he could have made a choice to accept a reality where all the pain that eventually led to the Red Lanterns would not have had to have happened. Um, and then he, he kind of realizes that them fighting him and he is able to let go of who he used to be and that now he can be a new, a new version of himself and a new atrocities. It kind of is a little simplistic, but okay, whatever. I'll take it. And I'm excited to see how Green Lantern 20 unfolds because now you have the Red Lanterns heading for Oa as well to converge upon the Guardians. So I give it a 7 out of 10. Not a, not a bad read at all. Um, but again, that's this this week in, in general is a lot of 6s and 7s. It wasn't a strong read week. It was just... A lot of stuff that wasn't terrible and didn't make me want to, you know, slap myself in the face to make myself stop reading comics for a while. Um, next up is Savage Hawkman number 19. I guess this book is just about over. Um, I don't think anyone's really going to be sad to see it go, per se. Um, 
I mean, Tom DeFalco's done his best writing it, but I mean, the book was kind of a lost cause when it came on it. The Joe Bennett artwork, as I've said before, isn't quite his best. Uh, you have him going up against two blockbusters at the end of this issue. At times, the artwork is very... Um, there's not a lot of detail. Or it's, it looks a little rushed and hasty. Uh, but, I mean... But then there's also some pages where Hawkman looks great and the action is kind of fun. So, uh, I'm a little bit torn on how that works. Uh, the story, kind of weird. You have... Um, Basically, I, now I can't remember her name, but uh, the love interest of Hawkman, she kind of, uh, her dad goes to this institution that they're trying to help him to deal with his, I guess it's Alzheimer's, I think it is. Anyways, he ends up becoming a blockbuster, uh, a version of Blockbuster, as well as this other guy who is being taken care of in the area. I do appreciate that Tom DeFalco does a little bit of a switch here, because you think it's going to be Desmond who becomes Blockbuster, and instead it's the other two characters who are living in this institution, or in this uh, this space. Uh, I gave it a 7 out of 10 because, I mean, the story's kind of interesting. It did kind of throw you for a loop a little. Uh, not sure where we're going to go with it, especially with only one issue left. But, you know, it's it's worth a, it's worth a read. 7 out of 10. Uh, next up is Talon number 7. I gave this an 8 out of 10. Uh, very entertaining, although the artwork from Bane could have been a lot better. I'm not a huge fan of this particular redesign of Bane, or not redesign, but the new 52 design of the character. I don't really like how the mask looks. Um... It does kind of make me think more of the Young Justice cartoon, and I kind of... It's too bad that we don't have the classic Bane, because I've always thought that was a pretty cool look. Um, the art on the cover is kind of weird in terms of the pouches on and the weird musculature of Bane's legs. Uh, Scott Snyder and James Tiny and the Fourth have wrote, written this. Sorry, written it. Uh, artwork by Guillaume March. Um, pretty strong stuff for the most part, because you have the idea that Calvin Rose discovering that he's basically been betrayed... Um, his, you know, the guy who's been helping him out throughout the entire thing. Turns out he's actually a uh, former Grandmaster of the Court of Owls. Uh, so that definitely spins things in a different direction. Uh, Talon's love interest and his, her daughter um, narrowly end up being able to escape. Uh, the Talon himself is able to... Uh, he's ba- almost about to die because of these Talons that have confronted him. But uh, he's able to, uh, one of them basically turns against the others because he doesn't want there to be a continued bloodline of talents. He wishes that he didn't have to be a talent, so he kind of, uh, he rebels and helps uh, Calvin Rose escape. Calvin Rose then gets captured briefly by Batman. I like that the, at least we get to see them addressing the fact that, you know, Calvin Rose being in Gotham would be something that would send up a kind of a red flag and the Batman isn't too pleased about uh, any kind of uh, Talon related Court of Owls related uh, business. Although I kind of wish there'd be more um, development on this because Batman hasn't really talked at all about the Court of Owls since that storyline's ended. Uh, the storyline ended, he dealt with the repercussions kind of very briefly, then he was right into Death of the Family and now uh, at least in the, the Batman book proper where we're where we'd be more likely to get the Court of Owls stuff, um, they're going back to the Year Zero stuff. So I wish there'd be a little bit more follow-up as to what's really going on in present day. But I, I do like that Scott Snyder was co-writing this with Tiny and the Fourth, um, so that you, the interaction of Batman feels like it's more legitimate and more canon and more likely to be referenced at some point in the future because Scott Snyder is the one who write, writes that and has more obviously invested in the Court of Owls concept because it's his own. Uh, I gave the issue an 8 out of 10. Uh, next up is Teen Titans number 19. I gave this a 6 out of 10. Not a huge fan. Didn't really like this issue at all. Um, 
the Trigon stuff. I, I my eyes always kind of go cross eyed when the Teen Titans involve Trigon. I know it's a long standing aspect of the team, going back to the uh, original new Teen Titans of the eighties. Um, I just don't really care much for the character or for the new version of, of uh, Raven we have here or whatever they're doing with uh, with uh, Beast Boy. Uh, this issue is written by Scott Lobdell, artwork by Eddie Barrows. Eddie Barrows is too good for this book. His artwork is great and enjoyable, um, but unfortunately he's writing a book, sorry, he's illustrating a book that isn't all that well written or at least not all that well interesting. It's not all that interesting. My God, my words are failing me for sure today. Uh, it's not even that Lobdell is doing a bad job on the scripting per se. It's just more I don't care. Uh, he's he's doing a uh, story with Trigon, a character I don't care much about. I'm still not really warming up to these versions of the Titans because they're just they don't quite feel like the Titans I want them to be. Uh, Red Robin is obviously not quite not quite being written all that well here, um, and they they continue to develop that element of the storyline. Him obviously being kind of off his game and not acting like himself. Uh, I didn't care much for it, and I'm not a big fan of the book in general, and I gave it a 6 out of 10. Next up is uh, Ultimate Comics Spider-Man, number 22. Uh, I was actually shocked by this issue, because um, I didn't expect what happened at the end. Like, it was really good. Um, you have Spider-Man going up against uh, the you know Venom. Uh, you have him dealing with the fact that Maria Hill basically knows who he is, and basically outs himself, because I mean, she already knows anyway. Um, or at least he's already pretty sure anyway. And then he heads to the hospital to try and protect his dad because Venom is going after his dad. Um, he's able to fight off Venom. Uh, his mom basically finds, discovers who he is. Uh, his mom kind of is a badass on her own. Um, she ends up actually, uh, appears dying. Like, I'm actually, like, it was kind of unclear because, um, you have her, him, Sorry, Spider-Man basically cradling her body and definitely looks like she's dead. And then you have a flat, uh, a cutout to him waking up in the morning, kind of going downstairs. And um, it was almost like, like I, it was kind of a weird moment because it was almost like, what's going on? Like, obviously she's dead, right? And Or at least it looked like she was dead. And then it was unclear because he kind of wakes up and he almost like, he forgets about it. And then he wakes up and he shreds his costume. So at least the whole Spider-Man No More thing definitely makes sense. Um, because that's where we're kind of going with, uh, the, I guess the next issue. Um, art, the artwork here is by Sarah Pacelli. It's her last issue in the book, though, which is really unfortunate because she has made this book, uh, she's part of what has made this book such a must read. Bendis obviously has done a good job at reinvigorating, reinvigorating himself on this title, but the artwork has just been brilliant. Uh, I give this a 9 out of 10 just because I was shocked and surprised and did expect the death of Miles Morales' mom, and it just felt like a, and it was that, and it was one of those classic comic book moments where she dies, and she also basically tells uh, Miles not to tell his dad that he what he is and what he can do, which is fascinating, and it's very interesting and very Marvel. <laughs> That's very much a Marvel hero thing to do. Um, after that, that was nine out of ten. We have Uncanny Avengers seven and a half out of ten for issue number seven. Um, the story wasn't bad. It was kind of an interesting take on. Uh, on uh, what's going on with, uh, I guess, these Apocalypse Twins, and it does feel like a spiritual successor to the Dark Angel saga that the Brick Commander wrote on Uncanny X-Force. Um, that being said, uh, so, so Uncanny Avengers, sorry, I picked up the wrong issue by accident. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of the art team 
the obviously the first arc or so we got you know Cassidy arc and, and then we had uh, last issue was actually pretty good but this felt more like the Daniel Acuna I remember um, this painted look and style that's not nearly as as uh, illustrated as I would have preferred in terms of like uh, a strong pencil definition because it's got more of a painted look and it's, some of the characters just look very uh, lacking in detail and the colors just kind of I don't know, it's a smorgasbord of, of poor art. Uh, the story's not bad, but the artwork is just didn't really jive for me. I gave it a 7.5 out of 10. Uh, next up is Uncanny X-Men number 5. Uh, I gave this, uh, I believe, a 6.5. Uh, I didn't. I wasn't a huge fan of the issue. Um, this is by uh, Bendis, with artwork by Fraser Irving. Uh, kind of felt like a really kind of weird place to go. Um... I'm not a huge fan of the art. You know what? I apologize. I'm actually gonna have to stop. Um, you can tell I, re- I do these uh, these podcast episodes basically in one take because I don't do a lot of editing because I want it to be kind of an off the cuff. This is what I feel in the moment kind of discussion. As I'm flipping through this issue, I, re- I realize I have not read this issue. Now that being said, um, as I flip through it, I'm not really interested in the artwork by Fraser Irving. Um, not the strongest, and I feel it's very. It kind of makes me feel of what uh, Daniel Acuna's artwork might even feel like on this kind of title. Uh, it's not really to my taste, but I haven't actually read it yet. So I take back the review because or the rating because I have not read this. I cannot uh, actually give you a rating at all, so my apologies. Uh, next up is Wolverine and the X-Men number 28. This is the other book that uh, is one of the worst of the week. This is tied with Morbius. Um, Wolverine and the X-Men has had a long, weird history with me. I really liked it at one, some points, and then I really disliked it in others. Uh, sometimes it really drags me, you know, drags me in. Sometimes I just can't possibly care less. Uh, Jason Aaron wrote this artwork by Perez. Uh, I believe his name is Ramon Perez. Yeah, Ramon Perez with artwork. Sorry, color art by Laura Martin and Matt Miller. This storyline has gone on way too long. Um, I really don't care for the dog character. Uh, it's just, it's just you have Wolverine and, and his kids is on this uh, basically this excursion to the Savage Land. You have Dog somehow his time travel powers. Why not? It's stupid, but let's just go with it. Uh, and he shows up and he basically tries to show that he's the best Logan that there is and uh, try and kind of take over the class. And um, it's just really stupid. It's not very good. The artwork is really kind of a mess. Uh, these characters that I used to really enjoy and love reading about, I just, I don't really care anymore. Uh, and the, in the ending of the issue with Glob Herman, I don't know what's going on there. Uh, these stupid robotic characters that were there. The artwork is really terrible, especially on Glob Herman. He looks even stupider than normal. Usually he can look kind of creepy and weird and kind of neat. Here it's just awful. Um, just, I just did, did not dig this at all. Uh, I don't care for it. Um, yeah, don't read this. It's not good. Uh, next up is Extermination Number 2. It's the third book that came out this week that I gave a 5. Uh, I didn't realize there was 3. Uh, I only realized now. I thought there was only... I forgot that I'd given a 5 to Wolverine and the X-Men Number 28. Uh, Extermination Number 2. This ends the Extermination event. And I guess this is the last we see of the Age of Apocalypse and the Extreme X-Men books. Uh, it's not very good. It's kind of a mess. Uh, it even at times feels inconclusive. Uh, we're supposed to kind of connect with the Nightcrawler character uh, who uh, 
from the Age of Apocalypse, I didn't really think it was all that interesting. There's a lot of kind of unanswered questions, but not even questions I really care about answering either. Uh, the whole point of this event, I don't know what it was really meant to be for. Uh, you have the, the, you know, as I said before, the three lowest selling uh, X books in the line converging for some reason. Uh, you have a weird kind of happy ending, I guess, with Prophet and no, no longer being in the Age of Apocalypse and being in the regular universe, which I don't even know what, why he's bothered being there, and it just feels weird to have him at a beach. Uh, the same to be said of Allison Blair. Uh, and the idea that you know they'll never forget who they were and and the people that the sacrifices of the people they lost. In this case, you have um, Prophet remembering his cast basically from Age of Apocalypse, and Allison Blair remembering Hercules, Kurt, and the disembodied head of uh, Professor Xavier. This wasn't all that good. It wasn't a good read. Uh, it's too bad that we had to leave off on a down note today because those two of the last two books we're talking about are fives out of tens. Uh, let's move on. Thankfully. Um, Actually, sorry, I just realized Extermination number two, I haven't actually given the credits because we want to know who is awful enough to put this issue together, um, which is really harsh, but it just wasn't good. Story by David Laughlin, Marjorie Lou, and Greg Pak. Uh, there's at least, of the three of them, I, I know that like Marjorie Lou can write, so can David Laughlin, and definitely so can Greg Pak. You would not know to read this event, especially this issue. Uh, this issue in particular is written by David Laughlin, his worst outing I think I've ever seen. Pencils by a smorgasbord of artists who really aren't all that good. I'm being a little bit uh, unfair and simplistic, but I just didn't really like the artwork here. Uh, it's a split chores between David Lopez, Guillermo Magoran, Raul Valdez, and Mateo Loli, with inks by Don Ho, Lorenzo Ruggiero, Carlos Huevas, and Alan Martinez, with, with colors by Andres Mosa. Uh, all those people working on this book, and yet it's still not good. Uh, and the last book was Young Avengers number four. I don't even remember reading issue number three, but I was like, you know, I I do want to read this. I want to see what it's like. Uh, artwork by McKelvey and Norton. It's written by Gillen. This was a much better issue. I really like seeing um, Novar and Kate Bishop kind of enter the fray and get more involved. Uh, these The second and third pages are fantastic because you have this great panel um, where you have Novar doing all these crazy kind of things and, and attacking all these enemies and you have this kind of blueprint almost of it of showing the scene as he ricochets through it and you have numbers kind of showing uh, a key for everything you're seeing and then the on the fringes of the uh, uh, kind of as the border is we're seeing actually all these numbers for each of these interactions kind of occurring not quite in sequence but it's kind of interesting to see kind of the close-ups. So you're seeing close-up of the actual action, and then you get to see this kind of pull-away where you actually get to see all 12 moves kind of done, uh, which is pretty cool. Um, I'm still not sure how I feel about this kind of lame parents kind of confronting. I feel it's a little too on the nose. It feels like something that the Runaways would have done once upon a time. Um, but that being said, although that part's kind of not, I'm not a huge fan of, I do really like the artwork, and I kind of like how Kid Loki has been written here as well. Uh, so overall, there is still enough to enjoy, although there is some stuff that I think you know we should just get to the end of the storyline already because I don't really care much for these weird, uh, you know, magic gun awry, all these parents kind of showing up and trying to put the, sh the the smackdown in the Young Avengers. It just feels very much like a commentary or a very they're kind of bludgeoning you over the head with, hey, look, they're young, but they're going up against authority. They're rebelling against authority. Yeah, like I'm done with this, please.
Um, so I gave that a, uh, an 8 out of 10, though, because as much as I don't like that aspect, the artwork, the cool kind of... That, that really great splash page on pages 2 and 3 are great. Um, so that's kind of why I'm giving it as, as good a review as I am. Uh, the books I didn't get a chance to review this week are actually a relatively small list. It's All-Star Western 19, Before Watchmen Comedian number 6, Deadpool number 8, I Vampire 19, Journey into Mystery 651, Justice League Dark number 19, Katana number 3, Superman number 19, and then obviously Uncanny X-Men number 5, which I have flipped through but not actually read. So, thanks once again for joining me for another episode of Comic Shenanigans. This has been episode 73, the comic reviews episode for the releases that came out on April the 24th. Um, the next episode that will be coming up probably within the next day or so. It might maybe within the next few hours because I'd like to keep at least one episode on this regular schedule would be episode 74, Talking Video Games. Uh, this was recorded about two and a half weeks ago, maybe even three and a half weeks ago. Uh, it's me, Nathan Strzok, and Leonor Alana sitting down to talk video games. Um, episode number 76 will be coming out next week, uh, which will be uh, our Iron Man 3 Spotlight episode. We'll be recording it this weekend, right after we see the movie. And uh, it's got, it should have uh, at least one new guest to the show, maybe another new guest. Um... So it'll be an interesting shake-up. Uh, following that, we'll have episode 78, which will be the week after that. Uh, May 15th, which will be the next Talking Hero Clicks episode. And then a week after that, May 22nd, we'll have the Star Trek Into Darkness Spotlight episode. So thanks once again for uh, downloading the episode. You can send emails to comicshenanigans at gmail.com. You can like us on Facebook, and you can also uh, post on our HC Realms uh, threads where we post the episodes. I'm, I'm always a big fan of feedback. Um... And uh, thanks once again. So we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.